Does everybody have the handout, uh, The Birth of Christ, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7? If we get through this and go to the next part, that is also typed up, but it's not in this handout. It's typed up on a new handout that we'll get next time we come to class. The Birth of Christ, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. When you're there, say Amen. Amen. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. All right. Let's just dive in. Verse 1. It says, in those days. This is in the calculation of time would refer to AD 1. AD 1. So BC before Christ. AD is actually. Anno Domini is actually okay. a real. Uh, which. Uh, anno, which I think you have this on your hand. Anno means year and Domini means first. Okay. So that's the real, that's the real uh, BC AD. So BC before Christ. Uh, I'm not even sure if that's what BC actually stands for. Yeah, it did. Okay. <laughs> before Christ and AD is, you know, done. All time is measured in respect to Christ. Yeah. Amen to that one. <laughs> All time. So when Christ. B.C. A.D. What's the most important thing is Christ, and all time is measured on Christ. That I just love that. It's yeah. not some very doctrinal, you know. Just goes to show you everything points to him. It points yeah. to Christ. He is Christ is the center yeah. of okay. Scripture. He's the center focus of. From Genesis to Revelation, Christ and what he would do at Calvary is the center focus of that. So much so that even the measurement of time is centered around Christ. It's amazing. The next, uh, also in verse 1, it says that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. This refers to Caius Octavius. The successor of Julius Caesar. He reigned 29 BC to 14 AD. Uh, says that all the world should be taxed. That's what verse 1 says. That all the world should be taxed. This is a figure of speech. The Greek word is S-Y-N-E-C-D-O-C-H-E. Which means a whole is put for a part. It was only the part of the world of which it spoke. So, said that all the world should be taxed. All it was saying was that everything 
under the rulership of Rome was going to be yeah. taxed. That's basically the idea. So they used, a, it was just a phrase that all the world, it didn't mean the entire world. It just meant that area that Rome was over. The tax would demand that each person in Israel go back to the city of his ancestry, which in the case of Joseph and Mary was Bethlehem. The word tax actually means census. So you say tax, it kind of sounds like we think of tax like money. <laughs> tax means they're going to take money <laughs> with census. Alright, so verses 2 through 3. I'm going to go ahead and read it again. It says, And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. So this tax was a special tax and census levied on top of all regular taxes. Verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Joseph traced his lineage to David through Solomon, with Mary tracing hers through Nathan, another son of David. Solomon was in the kingly line of David, therefore if the Davidic throne would have continued. Joseph would be king of Judah. Uh, we already covered this before in the class, but it's just amazing to me that Joseph, <laughs> Joseph yeah. the carpenter, would have been the king had the Davidic throne continued and not died out. That just crazy. Yeah, crazy. Mm -hmm. Joseph and Mary were forced to go to Bethlehem which was called the city of David because this was the birthplace of the famous king, David. It was around 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So this is quite a trip. It's not like, not like traveling for us where we just hop in the vehicle, you know, let's go drive 80 miles, no big deal. This was sweat like that. Sweat like that. Did you say 80 miles from Nazareth? Yeah. Yeah, 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So you just think about that. For us, yeah. 80 miles is yeah. if you drive like Sarah, it's an hour. <laughs> <laughs> if you drive like me, it's like an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. You cross 210 in four hours. Yeah. <laughs> 210, yeah. Right. And then, so for the now we have cars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like here to Lafayette. Then to walk. Walking or a donkey or a horse or whatever. And obviously we know Joseph and Mary were not they were not they were not wealthy. They were they were poor. So they had to walk. Which means yeah, they didn't have no thoroughbred horse that was gonna be going along. They was they would be walking and the most they probably have is a donkey. So fifteen, twenty miles a day. Yeah. Yeah. And right. she was and pregnant. pregnant. So. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like eight months yeah, pregnant. Yeah, she's, she's not like a little pregnant. She, yeah. She's pregnant. She's pregnant. pregnant. <laughs> yeah. You can tell. She's yeah. Right. <laughs> so Bethlehem was a tiny village, probably only a few hundred population. Yeah. Small. It wasn't very big. Bethlehem means house of bread. Hmm. Micah 
chapter 5, verse 2, is where Michael prophesied the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem about 700 years earlier. So, it's amazing. The Lord is making. The Lord did not force any of these events. The prophecy in Michael was that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And at the exact same time that Mary is about to give birth is when the Roman ruler, Caesar, decides that a taxation needs to happen. Yeah. Which, because of the taxation, meant that Mary and Joseph would have to travel to Bethlehem. Which means the prophecy would be fulfilled. Not the way that we would think. Right. Yeah. There is some belief that all of this came about from because of two because of a quarrel basically between two men. One of them was obviously Caesar himself. And the other, I got my mind's drawing a blank right now, I cannot remember. Um, but it might have been I, it, it might have been Herod. But Herod basically, if it's Herod, I, that sounds right, but Herod basically had some sway. And so Herod got a nice, a certain title that there was, him and Caesar just didn't mesh very well. So because of all this, basically Caesar flexed his most political muscles, basically, and just was a nice reminder of who's actually in charge. Yeah. The fact that if I call a tax, right, it overrides. Yeah. Nothing you can do about it, but yeah. so that is I, I've seen I've seen some evidence of that. Uh, so you add that into the whole structure of things that, and the Lord the Lord didn't force any of this to happen. God did not force any of this to happen, but He knew what was going to take place. So hence the prophecy in Micah. Even though Mary and Joseph do not live in Bethlehem, they live in right. Nazareth. What scripture did you say that would be in Micah? Micah oh, chapter 5, okay. verse 2. So 700 years earlier than this is when that was prophesied. And when it all comes down to it, Mary and Joseph who live in Nazareth, they don't even live in Bethlehem, she's pregnant. Jesus is about to be popping out any day. Mary is full on pregnant. Eight months, nine months. I mean, she's there. She's ready to go. And attacks is called most likely because of two men quarreling, two politicians quarreling. Now that never happens with politicians. <laughs> and that's how the prophecy gets fulfilled. Yeah. Crazy. All orchestrated by God. Yeah. 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 He just. Yeah, that's right. He knows what man's gonna do. I mean, yeah. he just. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Verse five. Verse five says, "To be taxed with Mary, his spouse, wife, being great with child." So, to be taxed with Mary, his spouse, wife. Joseph had married Mary. At this time, they were legal. They were legally married. It wasn't like they were engaged. They would have been legally married. 
uh, says that she, being being great with child, she was she was about to be delivered, but she was like what Sarah said earlier. She was she was pregnant. She was like. She's about nine months. Nine months pregnant. I mean, it was it was about time to do this. It um, says in here that that word espousing is promised. Espoused. Yes, a promised wife. The Jewish culture was different than ours. So what would happen is that a man and a woman would get what we would call engaged. But according to their customs, you were pretty much married already. Yeah. So that the male would go away for a certain amount of time and, and the woman would be waiting for him to come back. But in the, in the Jewish law, in the eyes of everyone, you were married. You would have been legally. You would have been legally. The contract comes first, there. Yeah. In our culture, the contract is after the ceremony. Sign the contract, make it legal. In their culture, it was the contract was done. So if you were a spouse, you were married. Yeah. Yeah. You were married. It's really beautiful, actually. Yeah. I wish but we could do a teaching. When you think about it, that's why Joseph, whenever Mary, basically tells Joseph you know, she's pregnant. She said that Joseph went about to sit to yeah. privately yeah. put her away. Put her, her away. away. Divorce her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're not married already, if you're not married, yeah. it's not divorced. But yeah. so they they would have been technically married. It's weird for us because, like, yeah. like my dad said, ours yeah. is kind of ours is flip flop. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. She was about to be delivered. She was nine months pregnant. It was it was time. Though Joseph and Mary were chosen by God for a unique and special purpose, which we can all agree, very unique and special for Joseph and Mary. The Lord showed them no favoritism. Mm. Right. They were not spared from difficulties of life. Yeah. Just because the Lord has his hand upon you Come on. Yeah. and has called you to something does not mean that the Lord is going to spare you from life. Joseph and Mary, I'll just put it in perspective. You are not the parents of the Messiah. Yeah, that's right. So if the parents of the Messiah were not spared from poverty, because they were they were in poverty. Yes. They weren't just poor, they, they were in poverty. Yeah. If they were not spared from poverty, if they didn't have a place to stay, if they didn't live in luxury and all of their dreams did not come true, <laughs> why is it that we teach? Yeah, yeah come on. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not scriptural. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I'm, the, I'm not. 
I'm called to preach the gospel. All of it. I'm not called to tell you what I think you want to hear and to make sure that I just keep you in the faith. So you don't run away. <laughs> it's going to be hard at times. Yeah. i just tell you the truth. God is... I, I, I might have said it here before, but the main goal of God is not to make your life comfortable. Yeah. we got to get out of that thinking. Yeah. Can, can I just... It's just be... And, and you're going to have to... You're going to have to... You're going to have to listen to me here, not get ready to stone me. <laughs> because I believe wholeheartedly that the Lord provides for what we have need of. Yeah. But if the Lord does not meet every financial need, mm. it doesn't mean that the Lord is against me. That's right. That's right. The truth is, just in what he's provided in Christ, he has done enough. Yes. Right. If I, it, it hasn't happened to me, but if I were to find myself like Lazarus, not Lazarus that was raised from the dead, <laughs> the one that begged at the rich man's gate. And I'll tell you that that story is not a, it's not a parable, it's a real story. Yeah. When the Lord, when Jesus was telling parables, he didn't use names. But in that story, he's using names. Rich man, Lazarus. Lazarus, poor, is at the gate. He sits outside of the rich man's gate. The rich man has everything that he wants in this life. Lazarus has nothing. And the dogs actually came and licked the wounds and sores of Lazarus. So he didn't have physical health. He didn't have finances. He didn't have a a place to lay his head. He was homeless. And it goes on and says that when Lazarus died, he went to heaven. The rich man didn't. Many lessons there. One is that Lazarus didn't allow his poverty. Lazarus didn't allow his circumstances in this life to change what he thought about God. The rich man allowed things of this life to prevent him from having the Lord. And then for us, What really is the greatest desire of your heart? Because when the finances don't get met, and we kind of, just be honest, we get real frustrated and even start to think, Lord, I thought you're supposed to provide, Lord. What happens is you don't, your faith is not in Christ at that moment. Right. Because when it's in Christ, not that, not that you don't know what's happening or not happening. When your faith is in Christ, yeah. Lord, you've, already, you've provided. That's it. Mm -hmm. you're, you're Jehovah Jireh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that Lord didn't provide for that financial need. Are you kidding me? He provided the lamb. He provided the greatest, for my greatest need. He's already provided. It doesn't really take much for our faith to just... But God's not interested in your comfort. He's interested in you being formed into the image of Christ. He's interested in what your faith is in. So if the Lord can purify your faith by removing comforts, guess what's coming? Because the most important thing is not your comfort, it's your faith. The purity of your faith, because your comforts won't get you into heaven, but your faith will. We got it mixed up. And it's worse in America. Because that's what the American dream is all about. The nice thing, we have nice vehicles, nice house, nice life, nice job, nice money. I want to be able to retire at a young age. This and this, this is what is, this, if you grow up in America, this is what you're pitched with. It's poured down you from the moment you can start to understand. Get a better education. Why? Because with a better education, you get a better job. With a better job, you get... Yeah. It's just... It's the mindset of the world. It's worldliness. It's, that's all it is. Whereas, scripturally, it says, get Christ. And you get everything. That's true. And if... If the Lord has that in His will for your life, it's going to happen, baby. <laughs> no matter what, it's going to happen. I, Bible college was not anywhere in my radar. <laughs> but it was the Lord's for my life. Because I wanted God and I wanted His will for my life. Yeah. Uh, Bible college. Bible His <laughs> plan is so much better than your plan. But it is a little scary sometimes because we don't get the whole plan all at once, and that's what we like. Like what my dad was talking about this morning. We like we want to see everything. We we don't really like turn by turn directions. <laughs> The GPS, you can zoom out. <laughs> you can zoom out in your life. <laughs> it's just turn by turn. Even then, sometimes you're like, I don't. I, I think we made a wrong turn. <laughs> the most important thing is Christ being conformed to the image of Christ. Your relationship with the Lord, the purity of your faith. God, God will take things. He will allow it to be removed from your life in order to purify your faith. And I'm not going to tell a new believer that it's all great from here on out. The Lord's just honestly, the Lord's not interested in your dreams. Your aspirations and your goals. Actually, the only thing he's interested for them is that they die at Calvary. Yeah. 
because you've been crucified with Christ. And if you just submit to that, he'll give you new dreams, new desires. The idea of commit your way unto the Lord, that's probably saying wrong, but, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's right. If I just commit to the Lord, he'll give me what I want. No, no, no. What the passage means is that if you commit your ways, Lord, what do you want? Right. Not my ways, but your way, Lord. My life is yours. What do you want? What's your will, Father? And then what he'll do is he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll place the things that he wants in your heart. The Lord's will for me was Bible college. Wasn't anywhere on my radar. But then I said, Lord, I want your will. And he placed Bible college in my heart, that desire. To where I said, Lord, I'm on Bible college. <laughs> that was the Lord's will. He placed it in my heart. It wasn't my will, it was his will. And he placed it in my heart. And when he placed it in my heart, I desired what he wanted. Everything lined up. My will lined up with his will because he placed it there. Right. And when you allow that to happen, that's right. You want the most fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. You, you everyone. I love. I love teaching this class. It is the desire of my heart because the Lord put it there because it's His desire. Right. So I get the joy of fulfilling the Lord's will, knowing I'm in His will. I get the, the joy of participating with Him because it's really Him teaching the class. But I get to participate in that. I get to be a co-laborer with Christ. My goodness. And when I come, and it gets even better. He actually gives, he enables me, he gives me the grace that I need to teach the class. It's him doing it. It's his grace. So he gives me the ability to perform what he's put in front of me. Because when he calls you to do something, he gives you the grace to do it. And if you don't find that you have the grace to do it, then the chance is maybe he didn't call you to do it. People say, well, I get burnt out. Well, there's only two things that can happen. One, your faith is in the wrong object. That's why you're burnt out as far as ministry goes. You're burnt out because your faith is in the wrong object. Or, second thing, God hasn't called you to that. So you don't have his enabling grace to help you. That's good, Tana. That's good. I, I, this is a unique thing, whether it'll last me and Sarah's whole life, I do not know. But right now, I love working. I love working. I, I love working my job. I love having a full-time job. I like working with my hands. I like fixing things. I just, I love it. I wake up every morning at 4 o'clock looking forward to go to work. And it work 10-hour days. I love it. (laughs) And being able to do ministry. And the Lord gives me grace Mm -hmm. to do it. 
That's why I love it so much. I'm convinced. Why do you... It's sometimes Sarah's probably worried about me. Because I'm like, I think I'm going to go into work today. When I'm off, I'm going to go in to work at the park or something. She's like, why don't you take the day off? I just want to go to work. I don't know. Because the grace of God, you can't convince me otherwise. The grace of God is there because he's called me to that. Full-time work, ministry. So I have the grace for both. His enabling grace that helps me go to work. And actually increases my desire for it. And his enabling grace for ministry. It's not just me. It's his grace. Enabling grace. That is one of the total. If there's anything about grace that's misunderstood. That's it. That enabling grace. That when we go through situations and circumstances that are not fun. He gives enabling grace to not run away, go through it. The the thing about Paul, Paul says, talking about the Lord, he said, I pray that the stone of the flesh would be taken from me three times. I pray three times that it would be taken. The Lord's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. Enabling, enabling grace is what was meant there. My grace is sufficient for you. My enabling grace, my enabling power is sufficient for you regarding that. I was in Bible college and was going through a tough time and there was nowhere to run. And you know what I found? His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient enough for me. And it'll be sufficient enough for you. I don't know what you're going through, but I know His grace. Right. It's sufficient enough for you. In that place of my life, I was right in the middle of God's will for my life. And I knew it. And everything was crumbling and crashing around me. And it hurt so bad. I just wanted to run, run, run. But if I ran, I was out of the will of God. And I knew that. So I felt trapped because I can't run. Because then I'm out of God's will. And I have a heart for God. Because the Lord has given me a new heart. A new nature. Which gives me the desires of God. So it's now my heart's desire is to be in His will. Which is really the Lord in me. So I'm, I've got to be here in His will. I can't get out of it because I want His will. And this is His will even though it hurts where I'm currently at right now. And the easiest thing to do would be to run away. So Lord, I need Your grace. I need more grace. And what I found was that He gave enabling grace to me. Whenever I looked to Jesus and what he did for me at Calvary, I found enabling grace. His enabling grace that said, this is my will. I've got you here for a reason and you're going to stay right here. And here is my enabling grace to allow you to stand the trial, the test, the fire, the attack of the enemy that will squeeze you My enabling grace. 
So that way you can remain in my will for your life. Because the enemy wants to get you out. Uh, can I, if this happened more often, people wouldn't be jumping from church to church. Because the moment something goes wrong, something can get your feelings hurt. We gone, baby, to another church. And it might be a situation that you're actually robbing yourself. Because that might be the exact situation that the Lord wants to make real to you that my grace is sufficient for you. Yes. If you just run all the time, you you won't be growing. We'll just be staying the same because we just we just run, 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 run. If I smell the frying pan, I'm gone, baby. <laughs> but you'll never, through experiential knowledge, learn that His grace is sufficient enough for you. And then, see, now that I've experienced that, I can with confidence say, His grace is sufficient enough for me. And if I get a bad report, his grace is sufficient enough for me. It does, it, what I did not say is that God would change it. That I said that His grace is sufficient enough yeah. for me. It might just be a report. Yeah. And it might not be reality. If it isn't, I'll praise the Lord. But if it is reality, I'll still be praising the Lord because His grace is sufficient enough for me. So if the report comes in and it says cancer, His grace is sufficient enough for me. Yeah, come on. But the Lord didn't heal you. His grace yeah. is sufficient enough for me. And if He doesn't heal me on this side of the grave, it doesn't mean He didn't heal me. First of all, He already healed me. Because spiritually, I've been made whole. Spiritually, I've been made whole. He's healed me. Right now, I can say, I've never, I've never necessarily had to have some crazy, miraculous touch from the Lord to heal my body. I'm only 28, so... But I can say with all the passion in the world that he's my healer. Yes, he is. Yeah, but you never been. Yes, I have. Spiritually, I was broken. But he healed me. He made me whole. I was separated from him. And I'm that's the great that's the greatest miracle. That's more of a miracle than a physical healing. Because even a physician, a doctor can perform a, a physical healing. But spiritually, no one can. Luke chapter 4.
verse 18. Well, let's start. I'm going to start in 15. But, uh, verse, Luke chapter 4, verse 15 says, And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and, his cust and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, which was Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. So it just so happened that the day that Jesus was in the synagogue and it was his turn to read that they handed him the book of Isaiah, which happened to have this exact portion in it, which he happened to read, which was a fulfillment of prophecy. Once again, wow, amazing. Okay. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and, re and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them who are bruised. Notice the words that are used. In verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Basically, the Lord has anointed me because it says that next, because He has anointed me. <laughs> to preach the gospel. That is, um, that is just, I say amazing to me. It's amazing how that we as the church, we totally miss that. This is Jesus. We know the miracles that Jesus performed. We know all these different things. And this is what Jesus says about himself. And it was also prophesied, obviously, in Isaiah. He says that the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has anointed me to preach the gospel. And yet in the church, there are some places that just remove preaching altogether. Yeah, we're talking about the Messiah. Jesus himself says that the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel. Yeah. To the poor, talking about the poor in spirit. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Sin will break your heart. Sin break it, it breaks you. The brokenhearted. To preach, once again, preach. That's twice that the word preach is used in one verse. To preach deliverance to the captives, which is talking about captives to what? Sin. And recovering of sight to the blind, spiritually blind, right? To set at liberty them who are bruised. This is one of my favorite ones, and it goes right with my dad. My dad talked about this morning. This passage probably brings it out in a way that Psalms. 23 just it doesn't have it there because Psalm 23 is obviously focused on a little different. But 
to set at liberty them who are bruised. How that this life will bruise you. And it's not, not, not a bruise you can see on the outside, but right. inward bruises. Right. And from all of this, the Lord says that it's the, the, the Spirit of God anointed Jesus to do all this, but through what? Preaching. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Through the proclamation of the gospel is how through the preaching of the cross, through the preaching of the gospel is how the poor is, is how the poor in spirit will, will no longer be poor in spirit. Right. Yes. It's how the brokenhearted will be healed. It's how those that are captives will be delivered. Right. And it's how those that are blind can see. And how those that are bruised can be set at liberty. It's through the preaching of the gospel. But we've made it about everything but the preaching of the gospel. That is true. Yeah. To try to bring about all these different things. That is true. But Jesus himself said that the Spirit of God has anointed me, him, to do all of those through what? The preaching of the gospel. Hmm. That's good. Jesus himself said that he didn't even have a place to lay his head. We got to get out of the American mindset of Christianity and this whole idea that God is God is for us, but what we He is, but what we really what that's really translated for us is that God is for our our plan. And God's not for your plan. Your plan dies at the cross. It's, it, he's more interested in your spiritual growth, not your physical comforts. That's just the truth of Scripture. That's just... You don't gain anything by suffering. But there's going to be times in your life where it's going to happen. Alright, verse 6. Verse 6 says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. If you're, if you're a woman and, you've, and you have given birth to a child, you appreciate the word delivered being yeah. used there. <laughs> she was going to be delivered. The, uh, the word... The, Word choice from the Holy Spirit was that Mary was going to be delivered from that thing <laughs> on the inside. The pregnancy. The pregnancy. So this probably was in October, but it was most certainly not in December. Yeah. yeah. So sorry, sorry if you think that December twenty fifth was when Jesus, the day Jesus was born, because. Uh, if you just look at everything in this passage and uh, up ahead a little bit in the passage, there's no way it was in December. 
because in December you would have winter time, like legit winter for them, and the shepherds would not be in the field with the sheep. You're right. <laughs> but they were, so it would have been December. So it's probably October. Jesus would be born while Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem because of the census. Amazing. Alright, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So it says, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Mary had no other children up to this time. Jesus was the firstborn. Uh, also, it says firstborn son, not only born. Yeah. 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 Jesus would end up with four half-brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, as well as two to three half-sisters. And the scripture references for that are Matthew chapter 13, 55 through 56, verse 55 through 56. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 through 56. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 through verse 56. And I'm there, so I'll read it to you. Verse 55 says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then has this man all these things? So they give you the names of the brothers right there. Uh, Psalms chapter 69, verse 8 through 9. Psalms chapter 69, verse 8 through 9. Psalms chapter 69, verse 8 through verse 9. Another one is John, the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 3 through 10. John, chapter 7, verse 3 through 10. John, chapter 7, verse 3 through verse 10. Another one is Acts, chapter 1, verse 14. Acts chapter 1, verse 13. And the last one is Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. If Joseph had children before Jesus was born, as some claim, then Jesus could not be the legal heir to David's throne, which by law went to the firstborn. So if you ever hear someone say, well, Joseph had kids before Jesus, then that means that Jesus is the right heir to the throne of David, right. which throws off everything. Yeah, it does. I heard this statement from a minister that was teaching youth aid, which I'll be honest, it fired me up pretty good. But uh, he said that they've got the passage of scripture where David says that conceived in iniquity, basically. So this brother took that statement and said, and he, now this is not like 
he he's he kind of might have said, yeah, this is my theory or whatever, but he straight up said it from behind the pulpit to a bunch of you think kids. So he said that he believed that uh, that David came from a uh, how would I say that? Uh, not a uh, illegitimate. An illegitimate child. David was an illegitimate child that his father had a relationship with a woman, and that's what David meant when he says, I was born in iniquity. Well, actually, what the passage means is that all David was saying is basically, I was born into sin. David had a sin nature. I was born into sin with the sin nature. But this brother took that as that David was an illegitimate child, which by that statement, he had no idea but what he just said, which he didn't say it out. Really, the enemy used that to. Right. But what the statement that what that would lead up to is that Jesus is now illegitimate. Right. That's right. It attacks the very line of the Messiah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Just hear me out and tell you what the grain saw. This is the danger that comes into play when you do not allow the Lord, when you do not take the time to learn. Yeah. And you we just feel the call to ministry and we just go. Right. Instead of taking time to learn. The Lord is going to set time aside to prepare you. And what happens is we don't give the Lord that time. And we just hop into ministry and then we start teaching and just, something just like that. Boom. And he didn't think anything about it. Right. Just, he probably wholeheartedly thought, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, great revelation you had there, buddy. It's actually, you just attacked the line of the Messiah and yeah. you just actually... Right. If the Lord was here, he would say, get by me, Satan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that thought process lines right up with... Right. But this is what happens. This And it's one of the biggest things. And I'll be honest, I'm totally the grace of God for my life. Because the Lord had Bible college in my... That's his will for my life. Not everybody is going to be called to Bible college, but I guarantee you 100% everyone that God calls into ministry will be called to learn the Bible. That's right. Yeah. It might not be in a Bible college setting like I had, some sort of. but you'll be learning. So what happens is with the younger ministers, and I say the younger ministers, but it's obviously happened with older ministers as well, because that person was older than me. Don't take the time for preparation. Don't actually study things out properly. We we have a thought process, and then in, instead of instead of preaching a passage of scripture, we preach a thought process. So when you preach a thought process, you're going to get into error because now you've got to find the passage of scripture that matches the thought process. Yeah. And if you're not preaching the passage and you're preaching the thought process, you might find one that lines up, but it'll never be exact. Right. So what will happen is. Through your preaching the passage, you'll be manipulating it to your thought process. So really, you're not preaching the Bible, you're preaching right. 
what's in your head, and then you say, oh, well, the, the, the Lord gave me that. Dude, if it don't, you better make sure it lines up with Scripture. I love the Lord with all of my heart, and I've had thought processes that are not of God. Right. You might think less of me now, but <laughs> they're not of God. And it's as I look into the Scripture that I'm like, no, that ain't right. But I could have just I could have I could have brought you to a passage of scripture and been like, oh yeah. You can ask my dad. I'll have a I'll have something that I'll, I'll have a passage of scripture that I feel like the Lord drops into my heart, and then I'll also I'll also have some other thoughts. And then I'll look at the passage of scripture, and if my thought process doesn't line up with what the passage is saying. Then I'll be like, no, I don't think that's right. My thought process, not the pet, the passage is right. I don't think my thought process is right. And I'll call my dad and make sure. Hey, you, you know what? Uh, this is the passage of scripture. This is kind of what I'm. What do you think? And we'll we'll talk about it sometime. Because the, the most important thing is that I preach this. Right, right, right. I, I could care less about my thought processes. Let my pride get hurt. Right. I do not, I'd rather have a hurt pride and have people have life than for me to not have my pride hurt because I will just refuse to admit that the way that I do it is wrong and then have people dying spiritually. Yeah, come on. Because I'm actually more worried about self than I am. You can tell a lot, honestly. If people aren't growing spiritually, you're doing something wrong. The Lord's not. Yeah. If people are not growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are a minister, it's time to put your pride down and say, Lord, I'm doing something wrong. I've got to be. There's no other explanation. Because the Lord desires that we all grow. Yeah, uh, the next part in verse 7 says, And wrapped him in swaddling clothes. This pertains to the custom of that time. The cost of the material indicated the financial status and rank of the parent. So you have a newborn baby and whatever material you would swaddle them in, wrap them in, it basically showed it was a reflection of your status in, in society. So uh, this is how we know for sure that Joseph and Mary were. Yeah. Poverty. <laughs> Joseph and Mary were very poor, and as a result, this material would have been very inexpensive. It was. It actually would have been the same material that you would use to wrap a dead body. That's how inexpensive it was. Right. That's how they were. That, like I said, they were not just poor. They were in what we would call poverty. Yeah. Now, swaddling clothes equal strips of cloth often used to wrap dead bodies. This is a type showing that Christ came to die for our sins. From Genesis to Revelation, you're going to find Christ and you'll find the cross. Even in his birth. You'll find Calvary. Right. right. That Jesus, the Messiah, here he is, he's born, and he's wrapped in grave clothes already because the thing that God, the
The whole purpose of the incarnation was the cross, Calvary. We're going to see this later on, but it's just good enough to say now. And when we say it in the other class, we'll be shouting the same thing. The first words of Jesus when he was a boy, when he gets left in, he doesn't get left, he, he gets, yeah. Mary and Joseph leave and he's left behind in Jerusalem. They come and they find him and the first thing that he said, they said, we were looking all over for you. This is probably very but we're looking all over for you. And he said, well, how are you looking all over for me? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? The very first words Jesus says is that I'll be about my father's business. The very last words that Jesus says is, it is finished. Right. So my father's business, which I'll be about, is now finished. Right. What was the father's business? Calvary. Yeah. The cross is the Father's business. Yes. So guess what the business of the church should be? The, the cross. Right. Because that's the Father's business. And that was Christ's business was Calvary. When he was born, the incarnation, he was wrapped in grave clothes because the whole purpose of him coming was to die. So my father, I, I, I told you, when we get there again, which will be next week, we'll be supposed to hold my mule, brother. <laughs> First words, I'll be about my father's business. Last words, it is finished. Uh, mm. Amen. Amen. Yeah, week after that, yeah. Week after that, uh, next week. Okay, uh, let's, we're, we're, let's wrap this up. Uh, then it says, and laid him in a manger, spoke of a feeding place for animals. <clears throat> the type of inn they were at was the poorest of the poor and offered little more than the shelter of its walls and roof. Because of the many travelers coming to Bethlehem for the census, the stable would have been filled with animals. Uh, you know how you see like the cartoons or the drawings and they got like a couple animals in there? Nah, bro. <laughs> it wouldn't have been that cute. Okay, first of all, you have everyone that's from Bethlehem has to travel back to Bethlehem for this census. So which means that every place is going to be booked up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like any major event in a, in a city, yeah. all the hotels are booked up. You gotta go. You gotta get a hotel in advance, or else they can be booked up, and we'll be staying, you know, four towns over. <laughs> and those folks had to get there just like Mary and Joseph did by the animals. That's right. So it wouldn't have been a cute, few yeah. cute little animals in this right. stall, basically the barn. Would have been like that. It would have been packed, yeah. packed with animals, which would have been stinky. Yeah. It wouldn't have been. We see the cartoons and we're like, "Oh, it's so cute." No, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you've ever yeah. been on a farm, okay, yeah. no matter how cute they are, yeah. it's male. It's male. <laughs> it would have been like that. Yeah. You imagine, as a woman, you're already irritated. Yeah. You're nine months pregnant. It's time to come out of me. Yeah. You're hot, and the place that you're going to be staying tonight is in a stinky barn with a bunch of animals that will not be quiet. Yeah. 
right. I'll tell you that. That won't happen. Because at the end of the day, they're still animals. Yeah. And they'll be smell, it's going to smell horrible. And that's why you're going to have to give birth. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> this would be the birthplace of the Messiah, King Jesus. The glory of God through Christ can turn the most vile, smelly, nasty place into the most glorious place. Luke, Luke chapter 12 verse 15 says, A man's life consists not in the abundance of things he possesses. King Jesus, the Messiah, right in the middle of this stinky, Barn stall is born, and the glory of God fills that place. Yes. Not the king's palaces, not even the inn, but shocking newsflash: you do not need a great building for the glory of God to be there. What you need is Jesus. That's what you need. Yeah. Lifting up Calvary and the glory of the Lord will fill the temple. Whether a building or can just be real, this temple. I do not need a three-piece suit for the glory of the Lord to fill this temple. What I need is faith in Calvary and the glory of the Lord will fill this temple. Amen. We spend more time worried about the wrong things. If we had nicer programs, people would come. If we had nicer building, people would come. If we had a nicer parking lot, people would come. If we had all of that, then people would come. Well, you're missing the greatest thing, the glory of the Lord. That's the one thing that you need. You don't need all that. What you really need is the glory of the Lord. Once you focus on that and watch God move, you get that right. And he'll draw, the Spirit of God will draw them in from the north, from the south, the east, and the west. And what you're focused on is the truth, preaching Calvary, lifting up the cross, lifting up Jesus, and the glory of the Lord will fill the temple, this temple, your temple, the church, the, the building that you're in that has church, and then you'll really be having church. And then people come in, and then you don't feel like you got to keep them in because you didn't get them in. The Spirit of God drew them in. He did the work. You present the gospel. He does the work. And now I don't have to cater to each person in the church to make sure that they stay and don't leave. Because I didn't bring you in. And it's not my job to keep you in. All right. So a manger is a feeding trough for animals. This is a type showing that Christ is the true spiritual food from God. 
eat my flesh, drink my blood. The sacrifice, you got to partake of the sacrifice by faith. By faith. Not communion, but by faith. That's what he was talking about. That every, every day, every single day, you've got to partake of what I did for you at Calvary. Every day. Because he's the spiritual food. He's the manna from heaven. Mm. Okay. It says, because there was no room for them in the end. As in the end, <clears throat> so in the hearts of so many people, no room for Jesus. This is a type showing the world's normal response to Christ. John chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. There was no room in the end for Jesus, the Messiah. In the world, there's no room for Jesus. In the hearts of unbelievers, no room for Jesus. In the heart of atheists, no room for Jesus. Every false religion, no room for Jesus. Not not this Jesus. Yeah. Might be another Jesus, but not, yeah. not this Jesus. I'm so thankful that I'm looking at a room full of believers that had room for Jesus. Praise God. They had room for Jesus in your heart, mm. in the end. <laughs> a room full of believers that had room for Jesus in the end. My Lord. Mm. farther the very next, uh, not next week, week after next. I'm on it now. We'll be talking about the incarnation of Christ and we'll be in John, the Gospel of John.